0: Good Garmley New Hirsch, Gunshin, Tonight on Arena, Rebel Moon Ferrari and Next Gold Wins are among the movies up for review, and celebrating seventy years of Gale with Moraidney Wayney and Donald O'Connor. double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena and you can watch us live on rte.ie forward slash radio forward slash watch hyphen live. Let's begin this evening with our movie reviews. Arlene Hunt and Donald Clark have been to see four new releases between them. Rebel First up will be Rebel Moon, part one, A Child of Fire. A farming village is attacked by fascists from space and Sofia Botella as Cora leads the fight back. Zach Schneider directs this one. Next up, Michael Mann's Ferrari, starring Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari and Penelope Cruz as his wife, Laura where in the year 1957 the Italian car company faces bankruptcy and serious competition from its rival Maserati next goal wins has Michael Fassbender as a soccer coach sent to fix things for, for a pretty ragged team and finally the boy and the heron from highly respected director and animator Hayao Miyazaki uh, Arlene Hunt and Donald Clark as I say are reviewers on this Thursday evening and we'll start with Rebel Moon um, Donald you've seen this one um, um Zack Schneider described this as a mix of sem- seven samurai and Star Wars. Is is he right? Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> and
1: that doesn't sound as if you you think he, he he did a good thing doing that. Well, I mean it's interesting. I mean, Zack Snyder, we should say perfectly nice man, as far as I'm aware, I assume he he's a very nice fellow. Um, who divides um the uh cinema world, the um, the cinema uh, um uh, uh world of reviewers and the world of um uh, nerds, if we can put it delicately. Um, it, uh, he is the director of Batman vs. Superman, Justice League, a bunch of other DC oh. stuff, um, way back and um, discreditable productions such as Sucker Punch, which um, still comes out like to haunt me every now and then whenever <laughs> I've, um, I've eaten too much cheese before going to bed. Um, and the notion is critics are all out to get him and the fans think that he's the greatest thing and sliced bread. And he's fine. He's a perfectly adequate director. This is, as you say, um, been billed as his... Ad- uh, his own crack at Star Wars um, which it is um, but it actually is looking if Star Wars didn't exist then the well-read and well-watched fellow would still kind of go back to the things that inspired Star Wars because yeah unquestionably yeah. there's a lot of Seven Samuel right here after you've you've given a very um, neat summary of the opening few sequences these fascists arrive from space, terrorise a farming village on a planet um, and then they have to fight back and they have to go and gather a group of people around them, just as they did in Akira Kurosawa's famous film in the 1950s. And basically a large part of the film is that gathering. is an awful travel to other planets, meeting other people, encouraging them to get involved in the campaign. But also, one can't help thinking of one of the key inspirations of Star Wars, which is Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Faces, um, a history of mythology and storytelling which essentially boils down a lot of myths throughout history to the Luke Skywalker yeah. story and is it here again the Sophie Butella character who is becomes the protagonist after this assault in her villages is adopted which is a key plot point in a lot of these stories look it's not Terrible! It um, is uh, put together with a degree of professionalism. The effects are absolutely fine, but it feels like a massive preamble for a for a part two. We should well, say yeah. we should say the, the full title is "Rebel Moon Part one, one: The Child of Fire." Yeah, it's a very long title. A part two is clanking away as we speak towards Netflix, and it feels like a huge preamble for a part for a second proper. see one thing I would point out that is I thought, quite amusing about it is that for some odd reason that. A large portion of the villains tend to be white South Africans or white African actors playing them or Northern Irish um, and I don't feel some kind of line is being drawn right. between one community in that part of the world um, and the villains in, in here okay. but don't tempt fate <laughs> Yes, yes we're at a delicate stage in well, Negotiations <laughs> The on last the delicate thing we want stage. is Zack Snyder
0: Absolutely. to muck
1: everything up in the Absolutely negotiations Absolutely,
0: for sure Let us listen to a, a clip uh, from Rebel Moon determined to defend their village Cora, as you mentioned here played by Sophia Boutella and Gunnar, played by Michael Hussman are recruiting allies including an indentured servant named Tarak, played by Stas Nair and other voices in this clip include Charlie Hunnam as Kai We're here from a small village and we're looking to hire some fighters to train and protect us against a force from the mother world I'm no friend of the realm
2: that's well known and I'd gladly fight with you but I have a debt on my name, and I honor my debts.
3: What's he owe you? Uh,
2: 300,000
1: dirhams ought to cover any inconvenience I've suffered.
3: We don't have that kind
1: of money. No money. Well, I do love
4: to gamble. Here we go. What's the bet? If Terry can break that creature out there, his debts are squared with me.
2: But if you don't, right? You all get a chain and a shackle. That's the deal.
0: There we go. A clip from Rebel Moon. Um, just listening to that, uh, Donald Warner, Donald Clark has seen this one for us. Warner and Lucasfilm said no to Zack Snyder when he pitched this film to them. Why did Netflix say yes? Do you think?
1: Well, Netflix are known to throw enormous amounts of money at. Um, any director kind of wandering Mm. around. I mean, it was um, Duncan Jones' film, was it Mute it was called? I forgot what it was called. He was trying to get into production for years and years and years and eventually Netflix gave him the money to make it and it it was a bit of a disaster, to be honest. Um, I mean, it, the question you might well ask why why Warner's didn't give Zack Snyder the money is is much of a question yeah. because even if you or I, or even if I didn't like the film that much, he does still bring in the punters. Yeah, will this one um, bring in the punters? Um, well, I mean, the voodoo economics of Netflix are such that we may, we may never know, right. Um but I think the last one he made for them did okay in terms of viewing figures so I think it might it, it might actually do fine for them I mean we never really know We're in a whole kind of new world Well with would you services. send would
0: you send uh,
1: viewers to
0: Netflix to watch this and how many stars would you give it
1: I would give it 2 I wouldn't I wouldn't tell him to race towards it, but uh, if there's nothing else available and you've been through everything else in your streaming service, then by all means, do not, don't let me persuade you from the Snyderverse. <laughs> right. Snyderverse is there, which is the open arms, mother, the
0: Mother World uh, yeah. with, with the with the aliens from there. Okay, that, that is certainly not a ringing endorsement that I'm hearing for Rebel Moon. Let us move on to Ferrari. Uh, Michael Mann, uh, the director here, Adam Driver ages up to play Enzo Ferrari. Ferrari, a man under numerous intolerable pressures in 1957, as the iconic cross-country race, the media media, approaches. Uh, Arlene, this particular film is is about race, car racing, obviously. But is it about that, or is it about Enzo Ferrari and his wife Laura?
2: It's about it's about all of the above. Oh. Um, I mean the as you said earlier on it at the, it's a snapshot of his life a moment really in, in, in his life they're facing bankruptcy he's in a partnership with his wife uh, laura they're they they built the company together yeah. and they have a very complicated relationship i would I think is probably the best way okay. to describe it. Um, she's very fiery. They've they've also lost a son, which, you know, is has been very difficult for her and it's been very difficult for him. It, 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 I think the loss of their son broke their marriage. Um, he also has another uh, son. son that she, Laura doesn't know about. Uh, he's been in a relationship for 10 years with a, with a Lena Lundy and they have a family together. He has a completely separate life to his wife and to his... You know, his friends and his cohorts and stuff like that. And so he's a man of many chambers. You
0: know? <laughs> a man of
2: many chambers. A man of many chambers. How
0: delicately put. Let us hear how uh, his wife re- reacts to some of those chambers in this in this <laughs> clip, uh, where we'll hear the, the, they're talking about the, the lost son, but they're also talking about the other son in the midst of all of this. Teeny little bit of language at the very top of the clip. I think it's uh, Penelope Cruz. It is as Laura, who's giving us a bit of language here, and Adam Adam Driver as Enzo.
3: Who gives a shit? You were supposed to save him! You blame me for his death? Yes! Yes, because
5: you promised me he wouldn't die!
1: Everything! I did everything! Tables showing what calories he could eat, what went in, what came out. I graphed the degrees of albuminuria, the degrees of azotemia, diuresis! I know more about nephritis and dystrophy than cars!
5: Yes, I blame you, I blame you! Could you let him die?
1: The father deluded himself! The great engineer! I will restore my son to wealth! Swiss doctors, Italian doctors, bullshit! I could not! I did not!
5: Because you were so consoled at Castelvetro, you lost your attention! You had another boy growing stronger while Dino was getting weaker! What goes on in your mind? He
1: got sick! Dystrophy! Kidneys! It destroyed him! It destroyed us!
3: What do you care? Huh? You have another son, you have another
0: wife. She's not my wife, but he is my son. There you go. Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz as uh, husband and wife, Enzo and Laura Ferrari from the film uh, Ferrari. Uh, Donald, as we were listening to that, I was saying, Italian accents, what is with it? And it was Gucci. I was remembering back to Gucci and Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. Adam Driver how's uh, Gucci, in, yeah. In, in that particular it's a funny one well. because,
1: I mean, even I mean, that was a Ridley Scott film and Ridley Scott kind of, <laughs> I got over it a year later and in Napoleon we'll notice that Mac and Phoenix wasn't around talking like this uh, in, uh, <laughs> as Napoleon but nonetheless we are back and we are Italiano in yeah. this film I mean don't blame me for being a racist there. <laughs> approach people who are still doing these other cheesy accents in films where people are clearly speaking in English, preferably reasonable convention. Um, it doesn't require them doing Italian yeah. accents for us to understand that it is a convention. Um, but that aside, I thought... F- I, I, I was uh, reasonably impressed with this. I mean, obviously... I'm, you know, in position I'm, Michael Mann is the greatest example of noms of determinism in the world cinema. Um, he makes, and it's unfair to say he makes films for men, does Michael Mann, but he certainly well, he makes, makes films for, about men. Yeah, <laughs> no for a certain for
0: type of man,
1: can we put it that way? And the things they like, yeah. guns, boxing, fast cars, and, you know, I am no less a fan of heat than uh, mm. than most men are. Um, and I think he's sensibly taken the very modern approach to the biopic, the unlike Bradley Cooper, uh, uh, in his work on Maestro, here he, he doesn't do the whole the, the whole, whole career life. story. He takes a single. Oh, single. Peter, Peter, yeah. Mor- a lot of Peter Morgan's films, kind of, you know, um, started this this um, this habit. A few months at the fulcrum of the subject's career, working from a decades-old script by Troy Kennedy Martin, who is one of the creators of Z Cars. That's um, a while ago. Yeah, and I I talked to Troy Kennedy. He's no longer with us. So I talked to him i mean at the end of the 90s and mm-hmm. he had was was um, um stewing this idea even then It's hung around and eventually has made it into of all things a michael mann film um i i, I think i mean i i think the personal d- d- dilemmas in this are fine yeah. but they don't i mean as a Sometimes the case of micro-man films, I don't think the female characters feel as fleshed out as they could be, despite the fact that Penelope Cruz works her socks off yeah. throughout this. I think she's terrific. Yeah, I mean, it, the part is actually rather underwritten. I mean, it is a wife part you know, in a commas. Certainly
0: not not underacted by, but by no, Penelope think, but Cruz. She, she, uh, yeah. she, she gra- burns through it. this. She yeah, yeah, you're not yeah, in agreement. She chews it to bits she and burns spits her it her back this. in her There's face.
2: like little little small scenes where she's just in a bank and she's talking to the teller, and you can actually see the moment where the teller's j- Almost frozen rigid with terror. (laughs) And she doesn't do anything apart from snap a pen from him. But she's just she's just this little powerhouse of a woman. And um, what about the, the
0: the race car side of things, though? How does that come across? The Milia Mila is a, I mean, it is a grueling. It's grueling. Race.
2: It's a thousand, and it's all a thousand miles, and it's across country lanes. Mm. And you know, as they point out in the in the movie, you know, your your biggest things apart from the speed and the and, and 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 the dangers of driving those older cars like that as well. At that speed, you know, you have to look out for sheep and stray dogs mm. and children and villages and. You know, and it's it's a grueling. Mm -hmm. It's a grueling. uh, The actual roads itself are very very grueling. There's a lot of hairpins. There's a lot of really dangerous areas. And if you break down, you you could be in the middle of nowhere. And it's not like these days, you know, where you have like crews that run behind you. These are like wide open spaces. And it's so it's the actual the drive itself is grueling and it's very difficult for the drivers. So it it adds a certain level of tension to everything. And obviously the race itself for Ferrari is so important because he's up against Maserati and they would be his a huge rivals and he needs to get he needs to win this race so that he can get some money right. on board so that he can start manufacturing cars and save the actual business
0: And the, the Spanish driver that he has employed to do so That's correct. or what did employ to do so Alfonso de, de, de Pardo played here by Gabriel Leone <laughs> I love his complaint about the car that he's asked that he's asked to drive it takes us back to a different time <laughs> in terms of what kind of activities might be going on in a racing car let's have a listen a little bit of language in this in this clip as well uh, Alfonso uh, Gabriel Leone as uh, Portago and of course Adam Driver once again as Enzo Ferrari
1: So what do you think?
4: There is no ashtray
0: are you a prima donna?
4: You will a flicking ash out of a car at 200 kilometers an hour.
0: I'm offering you a brand new car which has the edge on Maserati.
4: Bullshit. The Maserati is faster,
5: and it has an ashtray.
4: If I put in an ashtray,
0: will you drive it in the Mille Miglia? There we go. <laughs> An ashtray. An ashtray. An ashtray was the biggest, racing. the biggest problem. So do we get into the technicalities of racing and do we get into the dangers of racing in all of this, uh,
1: Donald? Oh, I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, I, f- I think the film does doze off a little bit when during, for example, the bits with Shailene Woodley. What as is she playing? The mis- she plays the mistress, She's the mistress Woodley, yeah. who has this child who may end up inheriting um, the empire yeah. despite the fact that um, he's not... Uh, uh, not literally, not, not not legally part of the family um but I, I do think the film film like the hero himself actually really only comes alive on or near the racetrack, uh, and I think the, I think those sequences are great For the most part, man who really is a great technical director keeps the camera low and mm. that allows us to get a sense of how much or how little. Information the driver has as he makes potentially life-threatening decisions, and it really does press home how insanely dangerous the sport, and the Mille in particular, was at that stage. I mean, really, up until I mean, I mean, motor racing, Formula One, motor racing, were, was fantastically dangerous way up until the seventies, eighties, yeah. until they finally pulled themselves together. Um, and there's a barely hint of that moral quandary as to whether it can be right for a t- any team owner. To send young men into such peril—it's not a war, you know—it's a sport. Yeah, but it's a very dangerous. Um, And I think you do get a sense of of that moral. They don't really discuss it much because they're men, (laughs) and they're men in Michael Mann films.
0: And and, and this was at a time when smoking could be advertised,
1: and that was all stopped in and around. But the most memorable image I think you get from this film, and it's all—it is horrific, and at the same time, almost slightly comic—is the repeated image of the driver flying through the air um, after a crash. Um, literally flying through the air after yeah. crash which obviously is taken from observations um, on the set yeah. and the most savage crash in in the film is I think the best thing in it it's brilliantly carried off and utterly horrible and oh, it's quite graphic, graphic. Yeah. Um, I think there's a there's a oh, right. th- the point is made there that, that man is taking this seriously yeah, he doesn't disregard not, it as boys away. having fun
0: yeah I'm not shying away from it, it starts from you on this one Donald Four I think uh, the best, One of his best films in
1: the, last, in the last ten years What are you saying
0: overall I gave it four Arlene?
2: out of five Because I, 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 As much as I enjoyed Adam Driver's performance Penelope Cruz stole it from me yeah. She, yeah. Uh, she was just pheno- For for her screen time She was phenomenal She's like Just an amazing actress
0: Alright So yeah You enjoyed You both enjoyed that one Ferrari Let's move on To next gold wins We're in the world of comedy here In this Taiki Waititi Directed movie What is the What is the comedy about Arlene
2: OK, so uh, <laughs> it's, you have to go back to 2001. Uh, first of all, he says at the start of the show that this is based on a true story with certain embellishments. Mm. So just bear that in mind. So it's back to 2000 and, uh, 2001. And the tiny Pacific island of American Samoa has suffered a humiliating loss against Australia in the World Cup qualifiers. Mm. Uh, they lost 31-0, which is just... just
0: <laughs> That's a big loss. That's
2: a massive... It wasn't uh, rugby. No, it was a massive <laughs> loss. It's a soccer game. It's just, it's just unparalleled, really. Yes, yeah. And so I come back then, sort of to the mo- uh, to the modern age, and they are going back to the for another World Cup. And so the the coach and the kind of the, the the head island man has decided that the guy who is coaching them all along isn't really up cut cut to mustard, and so he goes out looking for a new international coach who will come then to their tiny island and whip these men into shape, into a team and, right. and, and and then get them out there and get them with he really just wants them to score a goal, actually. That's, that seems to be his main ones, motivation. Yeah. He just would like them to score a goal, a single goal. And uh, so that's what he does. So he, he um he sends out looking for a, a coach and he ends up with Thomas Rongen, who is a Dutch played, American. Play,
0: played, by, played by Michael Fassbender.
5: Yeah. Um,
2: who had issues of his own because he'd literally been sacked by the American Federation because he was a terrible, he was, he was an alcoholic, he, was, he had the terrible act. temper tantrums, he was just an absolute mess. Right.
0: Um, and, and the dynamic between um, Oscar Knightley as the, the boss, Tavita, and Michael Fassbender as Rongen Donald? Um, slim,
1: to say the least. I mean, I think. Well, to me, I mean, what struck me about we should first of all talk about the history of this film. Um, in, in a sense, you can see the eventual release of Next Goal Wins as a point at which, cinematically, as we finally put the pandemic to bed, um, it was it was close to four years since it started shooting. Um, they, I mean, a lot has happened since then. I mean, the, the, we had the outbreak. You know, then Army Hammer, who was supposed to be in it, that um, um, he was. A whole bunch of scandals attached himself playing to Playing the to him. role was it? Was no, it? no. Playing no, the Will Arnett role. Oh, playing playing Arnett. the yeah, yeah. The um, the husband of his former wife, Alex
2: Magnussen. That sounds right.
1: Yeah. Uh, playing, <laughs> uh, <laughs> husband of his former wife um, had to be written out, and Will Arnett was brought in. And now four years. And also during that period, Taiki Waititi's reputation kind of slumped a bit. He was on top of the world at that point after yeah. having uh, won the Oscar for um, Ragnarok. Uh, no, no, for, for um, 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 uh, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah for writing Jojo but Rabbit. He,
2: done, he had done Ragnarok as well. That, that was quite the shoot, same for time, yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, that's, that's just like the swings and roundabouts of, of public opinion. That's unfair to him. He remains a talented and smart guy. Um, so f- finally this thing comes... I mean, I, I started the year right, my kind of previews for yeah. films to watch. I think this has been on three... <laughs> it was on three, four, it eventually comes chundling at the end of the year at that. And it's a mess. I mean, oh, it really is an awful, <laughs> awful mess. Witless mess. I mean, that, I mean the thing which I find puzzling, um, and it's... Kind of not for us to say. For me, there's two characters in this film. One character is Michael Fassbender, who is, I would say, a bit miscast. Comedy is not really his mm. uh, his forte. The other character is the entire Western Samoan um, nation, which are painted as one kind of, you know, nebulous whole of sentimental... Reason. buffoonery. I suppose we've um, seen
0: this in terms of
1: Irish, well, exactly. Irish films. Exactly. Like That's why I, I mean yeah. I, it is not for me or for us to comment on what the western some American, some own, sorry. Excuse me, yeah. for American Samoans, uh community thinks about this, but it's impossible not to be to reminded of, uh, of yeah, <laughs> yeah of Wild Mountain Time and those very patronising films about charming, twinkling Irish, Irish. people. Yeah, um, has a, has a I, I was of offended that. on their behalf. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong to think that. Maybe a, someone from that community will tell it, me that in fact they have no not, problem yeah. with it. But um, it does sound pos- a possibility. Let's yes. have a listen to um, the slim dynamic
0: as you put it between Michael Fassbender as Thomas Rungan and his boss Tavita, played by. Oscar Knightley.
1: I mean, look at this place. You've got a keyboard, a mouse, and no screen. None of this makes any sense. You don't even have a full squad of players out there. No
0: wonder you're the worst team in the world. Mr. Ronga, you have made your point, and now let me make mine. Now, we here at FAST are honored that you are here. We want to improve,
1: we want to learn from you, but we will not deny who we are just to win. These are our customs, these are our ways. Your ways are shit. You're failing. It's torture coaching this team.
3: Thomas, we were under the impression that you wanted to be here. But if that is the wrong impression that we are under, then you are free to go. Seek your happiness. Unhappiness is a curse that I would not wish on anyone.
0: And there we had who uh, they were Thomas Rongan played by Michael Fassbender and Oscar Knightley, playing the role of his. Is he um, Tavita? Is is the character that Oscar Knightley plays? Yeah. Mahito then is on a quest. Goes on a quest. Who is Mahito? He goes on a quest for his father's new wife, who is also his aunt. It's a different Just, film. No, 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 thank you, i you. Where? Why no, am that's I? That's a very, different film. a Very different film, which is on a totally different sheet. It is. Yeah. it is. And why I'm not reading that one? Why I'm reading that one as opposed to the one I'm about. It's in my the hand. end of the year. I sort no. So let's get back to <laughs> and. Ex- ignore like, Pappy. <laughs> yeah. Ignore Mojito for a minute. We'll come back to him clearly in a, in a while. Um, it's the, the, the scenario that and I'm, I'm now holding by the way Ferrari in my hand let me put that one down to the one side as well um, this this idea that Donald was talking about the two characters the Western Samoan nation and the the Michael Fassbender character. American Samoan yeah or sorry the American Samoan I don't Samoan do the same nation. thing yeah yeah, yeah um, is it a problem, and is Michael Fassbender a problem here for you?
2: I thought he was miscast. That's mm. that was my major problem. I just thought he was really, really miscast, and I, I, I just, I just, and this is a, pl- this should be a plucky underdog story, and they're normally the types of films I, I would root for, and, and, but it's just, it's so, the, the people are treated like, the islanders are treated like spiritual Lumpus, Yeah. Right. That's probably the best way I could describe it You know They're spiritual so It's even worse than Paddy
1: Whackery yeah. Plus you feel I'm, I, mean, I don't know if you felt The same thing I feel I'm filling in The gaps for them Because yes. you know That like this is The sort of story Where you know The the, the team learns something yeah. From him And he learns From the team And I'm kind of Filling in those okay. gaps Because yeah. nothing of like that Really happened Alright I don't to, think Either of you enjoyed This one though. Red
0: cards all round Red cards
2: All around red cards Straight <laughs> <all around, laughs> red, <all around, laughs> red cards
0: <laughs> yeah, so Straight you know, red
1: red Any
2: cards. stars I gave it one out of five And one I gave out that for One of one of the actors, um, Kam- Kamina, who was playing um, uh, Jaya, and I, I thought they really yes, could have done first a, a first yeah, transgender And, and in also had World Cup never acted Cup before, and yeah, she's good. Yeah. Frankly, was acted everyone else off the stage.
1: All right. Uh, one? I'm stretching to two, but that's probably because I'm being Christmas. Sentiment, sentiment, Christmas. It's Christmas. It's it's Christmas. sentimental towards right. Michael Fassman. I've,
0: I've I've squeezed um, The Boy and the Heron a little bit from director, uh, veteran director and animator Hayao Miyazaki. I was very keen to talk about it a <laughs> second ago and mix up the characters into that. What is the world we are in here and what is the story that's been told, Arlene?
2: Okay, so you're in the world of animation and you're in the world of... Dimensions. That's probably the best way I can describe it. World dimensions. And um, so, uh, Mahito is a, a young boy living in Tokyo with his family, and is a <coughs> quite a middle-class boy living in Tokyo. It's just, but the war is raging, and his mom's hospital is is has been struck, uh, and. There's a raging torrent and he runs down, but it, she's never been found. Like there's no, she, her body has never been located because the fire was so intense. So her body has never been located. So within, I think, about a year, his father relocates uh, from Tokyo into the countryside where Mahito learns that he is actually married now to the younger sister of his mother, who is now his stepmother and also his aunt.
0: That, there you go, which was the p- point I wanted to make 10 minutes ago about a totally different film. But this is the film this that we're talking about The, the Boy and the, the Heron. Film. This is um, autobiographical.
1: Yeah, a, an extent, a number Donald. of his films are autobiographical. I mean, uh, his last one, certainly, um, uh, The Wind Rises, which was um, unusually for him a, a relatively straight historical tale. Um, but yes, once again, I mean, his father did work in um, the manufacture of uh, aeroplanes during the Second World War, and they. He was in a similar situation to the kid in this. Um, I mean, so it's specific in that sense, but also it's like all his films. I mean, there's a, all his best yeah. films that there is a universal sense to it. It is lar- it is about the state of of facing up to impending adulthood, yeah. um, and uh, like a lot of his films, like *Spiritual Way* in particular, I. Um, often more connected to the early stages of the film where you're dealing with something closer to reality um, and than, as the than, film progresses than what happens and after you, go, after Alice goes down the rabbit hole. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is
0: you mentioned his last film there mm. and you were talking about his previous film. Mm. He has referred to this I think yeah. yet again as his last film. He's a well real
1: fact. Frank Sinatra yeah. in that regard. He's, a, it, I mean, he's been doing, doing, <laughs> he's been doing a, a farewell tour since Princess Mononoke <laughs> over 20 years ago. So, so, so should, if it's hell it, and we should say actually it's interesting we're dealing with two directors here in their 80s. Uh, Michael Mann, yeah. I think, is or 80, 81, and he's 82. So it's great Sh- to see you know, directors um, producing excellent material. Should, we go, lines to, should we go
0: to the cinema on the 26th of December? You certainly should.
1: I'm, I mean, if you're an admirer of Hayao Miyazaki's work, you should certainly yeah. go. And I think if and you're a newcomer, you should go as well. All right. And Arlene, are you in the same
0: boat?
2: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I actually loved the, the when he went into the other worlds because there's just so much symbolism in it and it's just kind of fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, I gave it four out of five.
0: Four out of five. Me too. Yep. Yeah. There we go. The Boy and the Heron, four out of five from both um, Donald and Arlene. That next goal wins and Ferrari, all in cinemas from December the 26th, the big day for the films really, isn't it? And Rebel Moon is on uh, Netflix from to the 22nd, I think it's yes, so tomorrow. Um, Rebel Moon, part one, A Child of Fire. is a new film on the history of the organisation it will be broadcast on TG 4 on St Stephen's Day um, it was established Gillin in 1953 to support the Irish language it soon tapped into the demand for new recordings of Irish traditional music and built one of the most prestigious catalogues in the genre over that 70 years new documentary has a particular focus on the organisation's record label and its impact on Irish music features a number of musical contributors including Tullamaka Númara, Máia Brennan, Éirle O'Leonard and Mareidhne Waney. It's produced by fiddle player Donal O'Connor who joins me on the line as Béir and the aforementioned Mareidhne Waney, who joins us from of course Tear Doing all, where else uh, would, <laughs> would Maraid be of a, of a Christmas week? Uh, in fact, Maraid, you say uh, very quickly at the beginning of this, year you, yourself and Maya Brennan are, are chatting in, in a beautiful garden. It has to be said where the film was shot, <laughs> and you're chatting away, and you say, <laughs> and you say "Is talking not meant to e Kyoto culture, profession, or be gone? Gillen, Gailin were responsible for." dragging you away from the classroom onto the professional <laughs> musician stage?
5: Well, I, I think so. You know, if you look at how prolific Gaylene was uh, during the early 80s, when I was starting off as a young teacher, you know, the, uh, uh, records meant a lot that time. Mm. You know, when, when you actually released an album, people did go out and buy them. And um, there was that opportunity there and I have to thank the likes of Scarab Ray and Mairin Ubrean and Clannad for paving the way for people like ourselves and as we do now for younger musicians, you know. But you know, Gaylen was was very pivotal in that and very important as regarding giving traditional Irish musicians a voice and uh, especially the language. You know, my first language is hmm. Gaelic and uh, because they were so uh, involved in, in promoting the language, that was very much accepted. Not a- at all um, like other record companies who would shun, uh, uh, shun you if you were singing in the Gaelic language, but it's getting trendier now. But, um, <laughs> you know, a-, a lot to thank for, especially Gaelin, for promoting it for such a long time.
0: And um, maybe you'd give us a, a, a little introduction into this on our own shot on Clare Bugdale, which was on your 93 uh, album, 1983 oh album. <laughs> Keola yes, Dewey. Yes, 1983. Yeah,
5: Keola, Keola
0: Dewey. Yeah. Yes. So tell, the, us, tell us a little bit about the, the song. North. Yeah, Kyola Dewey, the music of the North. Tell us a bit about the song on Clare Bugdale, Morid.
5: Well, Clare Bugdale is found all over the country. It's one of the big songs, the big love songs and uh, this particular version I got from an archival recording of Roshi Rúa from Arnmore Island singing it. And I just thought it was a lovely uh, version of it, very different to all the other Connacht versions and uh, the Munster version. And I just wanted to show that these songs travelled and evolved and, um, you know, they, they, they kind of fell into the 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 topography of where you lived and you know maybe borrowed another mm. melody but the melody is beautiful and the words are a little bit different to the usual um, to the usual one but uh, I and we had Enya Brennan she was starting off Enya Brennan was starting off as a young musician then so she's uh, playing on this track with us <laughs> I <speaking> can <in Spanish> The
0: little taste there of Ankar Bug Jill from the 1983 album the Dui, released by Gwilyn. We're speaking this evening about Gwilyn at 70 with Mairead Niwany, who's one of the contributors to the film, and Donald uh, oh, Donal O'Connor, beg your pardon, uh, f- Fiddler himself, August Stewart, and Skunon Shaw. an shanga, eh, an an, an no Avia Egg, egg chock, an, an uh, Donald, beg your pardon.
3: Well Sean, I here. chance and chance to um Good mm. I suppose that like, Gaelin's remit and achievements since 1953 has been so vast and varied that the challenge for us was to, to tell the story or a version of the story and to do it in a way that was relevant and artistic and creative, and, and that brought an element of contemporary artistic performance to the story and married it with informed contributions and archive footage. So it, when one thinks of all of the, the, the range of, of projects that Galen were mm. involved in, such as the sponsored radio programme on Radio Éireann, uh, the record label, the Geltacht Colleges and Sponsorships, the Damer Theatre, um, the Irish language newsreel, Arc Erin, of which there were three hundred and sixty-seven editions, uh, films like Misha Era, Siirche, Christy Ring, Pell, uh, and then lots of other um, commercial activities, tweed mills in County Antrim, and beekeeping schemes in, in West Kerry and in Cooley. So the, the the challenge, I suppose, for us was to try and try and, and bring a bit of focus to the programme and to do it in a way that was that was relevant to today. So we decided, uh, of all of those achievements, that the record label yeah. uh, may be the most enduring. Um, uh, and might be it might be the, the most um, valuable archive of of published uh, traditional Irish music and song, uh, and so to to focus in on that, and and within that there were so many different strands of music and and of styles of music and of regional styles, and uh, to try and bring some some justice to to all of that. So that that was the challenge for us
0: and and that's one thing that was uh, notable i thought maria in terms of the music that is covered in the film and that is shown in the film the the, the breadth of it for starters but the fact that guilin often came to these to artists like yourself and 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 frankie kennedy at the time who were their music was of a particular region but guilin came to the to the part of the country, whatever part of the country the people were based in, and ask them to come to record. It was an invitation to record your own music, rather than some kind of commercial decision, you know, well let's make an album that we might make a few bob from.
5: Yeah, that was what was very special about this. You know, you had Shano singers from, you know, Sianach Donoha to O'Haney, and then you had Kathleen Maud and you had uh Annie Banny Lee from Donegal, and, you know, so many different, uh, you know, solo singers and then duets. And, you know, and, and yes, it wasn't a commercial venture at all, which actually made it more special. It was like uh, going to a boutique hotel, you know, it was special and it was of a very, uh, you know, mm. they didn't make any apologies for the tradition and the living tradition that we do have in this country, and um, that's what was uh, very important about the record label, I think.
0: Yeah, is it is it Anya Hensy uh, or Marina Kelly? I'm not sure which of them it is that talks about Nicholas Tobin, um, Donald about that he was he was a real <laughs> that he was he was a big star down there but that they weren't so sure that if it wasn't for Gaelin, that he would have been known around or for without the Gaelin recordings that that brought him to a, a much broader audience.
3: Well, I think that's true and I think the same is true for uh, Sean de Hora in West Kerry for Eo Dovani in, in Donegal and from those initial um, from the wellspring recordings, you could maybe call them, uh, grew a whole other genre. So when we think of Donegal and and, and we think of um, the the wealth of music that Gaelin recorded from Donegal, Moraid uh, and Frankie, of course, uh, who we just heard, mm. uh, we also think of Winchery Gónal and Scarabray. Uh, were it not for Gaelin, would we have that record Scarabray? Were it not for Gaelan, would we have Clann Ado? Uh, and Moya speaks in the film about. Um, there was no pressure from Gaelin not to record songs in the Irish language, yeah. which there would have been from a mainstream label. Uh, and so would we have Clanid and, and if you go back further to to Mich- Sean Oreda and his composition uh, for the Misha era film, were it not for Gaelin acting as a publishing house for Oreda in the early years, uh, would we have the Misha era, Would we have Three Cúlin? And if we didn't have Cíolthurí Cúlin, would we have the Chieftains and so on? So uh, it can't be underestimated that the... the immense importance that, that Galen and their stepping stone, early early recordings, uh, the way they paved the way for others.
0: Yeah, and in fact, I think as Mairead and Maya make that point precisely about if it wasn't for Tory Curran, would we have the chieftains? And I think, Mairead, you say, yes. and if we didn't have the chieftains, I don't think we'd have Clanet, and if we didn't have Clanet, would we have me? <laughs> you know, and you, you, read, know exactly. you you draw those parallels. And and what I thought, <laughs> oh,
5: definitely.
0: What I thought was interesting beyond that, Donald, then is, if we didn't have Merid and Alton and and that generation <laughs> of music, we wouldn't have had uh, and, and if we didn't have Galen, we wouldn't have had the Hot House flowers and a much a slightly different style of Irish music that came in a little bit later on via
3: Galen. Uh, very interesting. So and I I suppose from the early days Galen set about having financial independence. Uh, they, they looked around them in the, in 1953, realised that the government wasn't doing enough for the Irish language. They were they were university graduates. They were children of the of the Free State, you could say, the, mm-hmm. the founders of the Free State, uh, and they were ambitious. They were aspirational, and they said they, they, they noted the success of the the football pools in the UK, uh, and they speculated that a similar scheme based on the Gaelic games might catch on in Ireland, and it did. Uh, and so the idea oh, of yeah. marketing... Oh I, I
5: used to go around with those pools. I used to go around with those pools yeah. and sell them
3: here. <laughs> Michelesh, <laughs> I used to cycle cycle <laughs> around the Cooley Mountains as a 10-year-old boy selling the linja. And you found out fairly quickly who was uh, in favour of the language and who wasn't. Uh, and you, we, it must be remembered that the landscape, um, Mairead's connection with the Galen goes back further than mine, but the landscape around... Public perception uh, of of the Irish language in the Gaeltacht and the outside of the Gaeltacht was very very different, and I think Gaelic uh, played a huge part in, in changing uh, that perception and in in, in, in um, contributing significantly to the right revitalisation of Irish as a spoken language, uh, and most importantly, its in, its integration into contemporary Irish culture. So um, the the pools give them that financial independence. Yeah. And from that, then, they were able to set up um, all of the different
0: um, Aspects projects that, that they did. And, and
3: competitions like 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 Sloga. And from Sloga, you, you mentioned the Hot House Flowers and Lehmann-Wanley. Uh, many of today's contemporary leading artists came through the, the Sloga channels. You Absolutely. think of people like Nicosagy, Stockton's Wing, Sharon Shannon earlo
5: Leonard
3: the uh, Dolores mm-hmm. O'Riordan of the cranberries competed in sloga yeah, yeah huge uh, Kila, huge the, and and
0: we, we get a get a huge list there but one of the things that really struck me as as the um as the film comes to a close donal is how you point out and in fact it's, i think it's part of getting the, Hulu, part of the hooligan who makes this mention of if you don't have the writers working in Irish, if you don't have the singers singing in Irish, if you don't have the filmmakers making films in Irish, and Cullum Parade is part of this as well, if you don't have that culture alive in the language, the language has no chance of living. I suppose that is the ultimate gift that uh, that uh, Gwilin gave us.
3: Absolutely. And it's as important today as it was then, probably even more important because of the commercial challenges that exist in terms of publishing music uh, and the financial returns And so if there isn't a support network for for the Gaelic arts, for for traditional Irish songwriting uh, in in a traditional style, but in a contemporary style as well, um, well, then it's very, very, very hard for those artists to exist. And so Gaelin's role is, is as important today as it was in 1953, if not even more important. Well
0: Goramiluk Mahagat Berch Vetlam and Ocht uh Donald O'Connor August Murray Nihaney on Shen and Galen at seventy the film will be broadcast uh, on TG Cather. Hook the club, Lawless Stefan, eight PM on Saint Stephen's Day. My final guest this evening insists that it is the hunt that propels him to visit markets and collection, and collectors all over Ireland, Britain and beyond to find treasures of old photography. Sean Sexton, born in Mulloch, County Clare, has over his life as a collector amassed the greatest collection of Irish photographs from the late 19th and early 20th centuries showing scenes of people engaged in manual labour, revolutionaries, land war evictions and much more besides. A new documentary on RTU1 framing Irish history the sean sexton collection brings us into the life of the collector of rare photographs and i'm delighted to be joined by sean sexton on the program this evening sean what brought you to collecting photos in and around that period in particular the late 19th and early 20th century what did you want to find documented pictorially in that era
4: Well, first of all, I went to Foyles, the the biggest bookshop in the world, in Tottenham Court Road to get a book on the history of photography. And actually, they had nothing in 73. And I I was wondering when was photography invented? And it was actually invented in 1839 by Jacques Daguerre in France and Fox Talbot in England. And anyway, in 73, on or about that time, Sotheby's and Christie's had sat at their sales of old cameras and photographs. So basically, I got in on the ground floor. And for a few years, they held four or five sales a year. And then the stuff about 20 years ago began to dry up. So there's practically Mm. nothing left. They don't hold regular sales of photographs and cameras anymore. They have the odd one once every two years, maybe something like that. And you have a mask. This is not a hobby. It's a full time. It's a full time search. You know, I'm I'm just looking at the Antiques Trade Gazette here on my desk, and that lists about 300 auctions in Britain every week. Similar amount in France, less so in Germany and Italy, and a fair amount again in America. And through the internet, my laptop and all the rest of it yeah. as well, I watch all these sales, particularly antiquarian book sales, where inevitably photographs will turn up. And if anything Irish turns up there, I know. Yeah, and and you you see that there, uh, there isn't much that escaped me.
0: <laughs> yeah, when well, you have twenty three thousand photographs in your collection, at least. So, and I'm sure that's growing. Handpicked, uh, uh, handpicked, and growing on on a daily and weekly basis. Let's. Um, I'm going to tweet some images that of of evictions from the period, which seems to be a, a particular interest in terms of what you wanted to get at about that particular period in time. What is it about these? I'm, I'm looking at, um, at RTE Arena, if you want to look at these, by the way. I'm looking, uh, for example, at one here of an evicted family at Glen Bay in County Kerry in 1888. What is it about these images that you think is important, Sean?
4: It's important. It shows exactly what was happening in Ireland and more particularly the result of British legislation in Ireland. And that it seems the the eviction photographs that were taken mostly around eighteen eighty mm. six, seven, eight for some reason, land war and all that. Uh, they're highly important to Irish history. Uh, and also, by the way, a lot of, of those photographs have been used in what I call great salvation programs. I have a problem with famine, <laughs> the word. Mm. And they shouldn't be they shouldn't be used at all. They're forty years after the famine. If you were evicted during the famine, you were half dead anyway, and sure as hell, you'd be dead by the end of it. But the 1880s, 1890s evictions had nothing to do with it.
0: Yeah, and and one of the striking things about so many of those pictures that you have of those evictions is, yes, the people were evicted out, but the houses were flattened. Uh, on eviction as well so there was no chance that they could find their way back into the building there's something deeply disturbing about that what about pictures of that period as you refer to it Sean uh, the great starvation um, how difficult is it to get pictures of that time
4: well are you talking about the, the uh, are you talking about the evictions or, or the, the famine the famine. Um, the
0: famine how difficult is it to get pictures of the how famine how
4: difficult the families forget it i spent 50 years of my life looking for them Disasters in the world in the 1840s, there's about two disasters. One disaster was the fire in Hamburg in 1842, and then there was one at the Arcego Mills outside New York in 1852, and the rest forget it. There were documentary photographs taken, yes. Portraits, soldiers, miners, carpenters, bricklayers, all that kind of thing, but... Actual disasters, n- Nothing, done. yeah. So the famine is the camera, in, the camera couldn't, no. Yeah, yeah. There are various reasons why the famine. If, I think, if the French photographers had been in Ireland during would forecast of the famine, or perhaps Hill and Adamson, the great photographers from Scotland.
0: They might have documented have it for think us. Think yeah. I'm, I'm looking. I want to tweet... I want to tweet another image, if I could, Sean, and ask you to tell us a little bit about it. It's so striking. It has an international feel to it, I have to say. This is the Labourer, a picture that was taken oh. circa 1850, 1857. It's an extraordinary image. A man, not looking straight out of the camera, kind of slightly off off the, the lens. That is
4: rare, rare worldwide. It's it's on glass. There's no copy of it. And that's one of the ones that got burgled when I was burgled.
0: Yeah, although you were burgled and people came in, but they didn't take the most uh, the most valuable pictures on that night at all.
4: Well, that is one of the most valuable. But the other amber types and dagger types, that process was basically of the landed gentry. And they're important to the development of photography, you know, but not to the actual history. And the burglars took the wrong stuff, basically. They took the shiny pieces, they took the brass Lenses, the mahogany and brass cameras, the stuff that looked good that they could flog off, but stuff was, like that.
0: There was stuff secreted away. There that was they,
4: really, really rare stuff there, and they didn't know know what they were looking at.
0: There's one one final uh, image that I want to tweet, which is a quirk in his called Jesse James Quirk in his coffin. This you you in fact there are two photographs involved here, um, one a picture taken after he had been beaten by the Black hands, and the second, a picture taken of him lying in his coffin when the Undertakers had, had done their work. Those two images tell
4: a very bleak story. Indeed. Indeed they do. Of course, that period was well photographed and also in 1916 was well photographed. Uh, there are people... In, basically in Dublin, who know up to the minute exactly what happened in 1916, far more knowledgeable than I am. Now, don't forget in this documentary as well, there will be micro photographs. The people that invented our laptops, our televisions, and our smartphones and all that stuff, <laughs> they seem to think they invented micro miniaturization the past, what, 30, 40 years? Micro photographs were invented by John Benjamin Dancer in Manchester in 1853. And in the program, we will see a couple of examples. One in particular shows up to mm. 300 portraits on it's a photograph it's the size of a full
0: stop. That small. Yeah, tiny stuff indeed. One, uh, one final question, and it's to do with the man who is a Charles Jones, who was a great man for photographing oh, vegetables. Charles. Now, you went and you went to a a, a, a a collection or an auction at one point. You were there late in the day, and you came across these charts. No no, 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 yeah,
4: right, okay. You, you came yeah, across was, these charts. It Charles... was an open fair. At, yeah. Yeah. At Ber- Bermondsey Antiques Market in London, it starts at four o'clock in the morning. I didn't get there until about seven or eight, I think it was. And nobody wanted them. Nobody wanted photographs of vegetables. Uh, that's probably the whole lot for a small sum, let's put it like that. I could see there were artistic straight away. I am blessed with a great artistic eye. I don't know where it came from. I didn't go to art school. I didn't even go to university, but I have it.
0: And, and, you, and can we thank Charles Jones for your ability to make a few bob to be, could continue your collecting?
4: Indeed, indeed, indeed. Are oh, just striking images, striking. Uh, I mean, they predate Edward Weston and Blossfeld and a lot of those nineteen thirties photographers. These were taken in nineteen hundred when you had basically kind of small Christmas card yeah. type of art. Sweetie pie are, stuff. They are not and that. He, they are not
0: that. Sean, it is it is a fascinating uh, documentary and we, you tell several great
4: stories within it. Thanks so much for speaking with us and, this and evening. The great, the, hero, yeah, yeah, the great hero that may come out of that is Lady Augusta Crofton. She was born in 1839, the year photography was in, in, invented. And she became a photographer age 21 or two. And she became yeah. the most prolific woman photographer uh, in, in the open air in the 19th century anywhere in the world which well, was very beautiful yeah, and, 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 and the there's some
0: some some great photographs that are in the programme from that and people can see uh, the, the programme that Sean Sexton has been talking to us about Framing Irish History the Sean Sexton Collection be screened on RTE One Television December the 28th half past six in the evening and it will be available on the RTE player that is our lot for this Thursday evening Demi Gerrity was the broadcast coordinator Liam Murphy and Paula Shields researched Liam Mullen was on sound this evening in tonight's Programme produced by Keshi. Back with you tomorrow night for the best of twenty twenty-three across all the cultural uh, genres. That will be tomorrow evening's arena.